What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Sorry to interrupt today's episode, but I'm excited to announce that this week's sponsor is Peanut, an app that helps you meet like-minded women who are trying to conceive. With Life After Miscarriage, I think we all know how important it is to find your tribe. Women who have been through it, women who just get it. As a matter of fact, that's probably why we are all listening to this podcast right now. Peanut is here to introduce you to women nearby who are at a similar stage in their journey. Peanut provides access to a community of women who are there to listen, share information, and offer valuable advice. Whether it's understanding IVF, PCOS, or miscarriage, Peanut is a place to connect with women who understand. Download the app for free today. Head to peanut.app.link slash life after miscarriage or find it on your app store. Now let's get back to today's episode. Hello, everyone. We have Charlotte Grand on today's episode. I'm so excited to get to know a little bit more about her. She is over in the UK. Charlotte, I am going to just toss it at you and start wherever you'd like with your story. Okay, thank you. Thanks for having me. So um, my kind of fertility story starts um, back in 2007, 2008. So I married my kind of childhood sweetheart. in 2007 and we pretty much started fairly quickly so I was about 26 then and I like we all do naively assumed that everything would happen very quickly and it didn't so I went off to see my doctor and had the usual tests that you get offered over here so we had hormone checks semen analysis and then they were fine so then I got referred on to have a laparoscopy and hysteroscopy And that was all fine. So after that, we got um, diagnosed with unexplained infertility and we were referred for IVF at that point. And that was a real shock for me because I didn't expect to just go straight from from trying to conceive to IVF. I thought there might be something in the middle, like IUI or something like that. So that was was a bit of a shock. But once I got over that, we we decided we would go for it because by that point, we'd been trying for three years. And quite frankly, we were a bit fed up um, of trying. So, um, so we, we opted to go for private IVF because although you can get it on the NHS, we, I was 29 by this point. And at the time in the UK, you had to be 30 to qualify for funding um, under the NHS. So we, we decided to go privately because we just didn't want to wait another six months until I was 30. So we went privately for IVF and we, I was on quite a low dose of the drug because I was fairly young and it kind of all went swimmingly. I mean, during my kind of trying to see, to conceive journey, I had started to like look into lifestyle and um, I started having acupuncture and that really helped me and it actually really helped me through the IVF process as well. I really believe that it helped me to deal with the side effects of the drugs and things like that. 
So I had quite a good experience of IVF. Um, we had nine eggs, if I can recall correctly, and we got three embryos from that. And I was really thrilled at that. Um, and possibly if I'd have had, if I knew then what I know now, I might have thought all three embryos isn't very many, but at the time I was pretty green and I thought, well, that's amazing. And because I only had three, we had a three day transfer and we had two put back on, on day three. And then I got a phone call the next day to say that the third embryo was suitable for um, freezing. So we had that frozen as well. So all in all, I felt really positive and because the two put back were considered better quality, I felt that that was great that then we'd had one put in the freezer that they hadn't necessarily thought was as good quality. So, um, so yeah, so that cycle was thankfully successful and I got pregnant with my son, George, who is now eight. And we had obviously had the remaining embryo frozen. So our um, journey to number two was a little bit harder. So because we'd had trouble conceiving George we thought well let's just go for it fairly quickly so when he was about nine months we decided that we wanted to start trying for for a sibling and again nothing happened sadly so I kind of thought you hear those stories that people ha get pregnant and then their body kind of knows what to do or something and you know the second one maybe comes a bit easier but that that wasn't the case for us and um, we tried for about a year again, so we gave it another year. And because we had the embryo in the freezer, we decided to go back and have a frozen embryo transfer. And I decided to have that put back on a natural cycle because my, my periods were quite regular. And we were told that the success rate wasn't that different if you had, if you had a medicated frozen cycle or if you had a natural cycle. So we decided to, to go as natural as possible. Um, and possibly that wasn't the best idea because I was actually still breastfeeding George a little bit. And I think had my clinic known that they wouldn't have let me go ahead. I think you have to have a three month kind of clearance of, of stopping breastfeeding before you can um, have IVF. So I kind of kept that a secret and I just wanted to crack on. So um, unfortunately that cycle didn't work. and. I started bleeding before test day. And for me, that was really unusual. So I'd never bleed like early in a cycle. So I pretty much knew that that was unsuccessful anyway, before I did the pregnancy test. So straight after that, we decided we would go for a fresh cycle. And we got pregnant from that cycle. So that was a, a successful round. But sadly, I had a chemical pregnancy and I think I remember it really well, actually. I took the pregnancy test on the Friday and my official test day wasn't until the Saturday. And I phoned up the clinic on the Friday and said, oh, it's positive. And they said, well, that's great, but you need to test again tomorrow. So um, I tested again the next day and I remember thinking, well, this is a little bit lighter than, um, than the day before. So I thought, that's not great. And then... I did another test, a clear blue digital one, and I'd been cycling through this IVF cycle with a friend as well. And she'd, she was a couple of weeks ahead of me. And when she'd done her pregnancy test, her result was pregnant three to four weeks and mine was pregnant one to two weeks. So although I was sort of cautiously optimistic, I felt a bit, hmm, it should probably be three to four weeks. So I had this underlying, not sure about this, 
And then lo and behold, a couple of days later, I just, I don't know, call it intuition. I was just like, I need to go and test again. And I went and tested again and it was negative. And that was a huge shock because obviously I hadn't experienced that before. And my first cycle had gone really well to get George. And then this pretty much about an hour after having done the test and it being negative, I started bleeding. So, so that was the end of that cycle. And actually we hadn't had anything to freeze from this cycle. So even though we'd had um, on paper, probably a better cycle than, than the one where we conceived George, where we had a lot more embryos and we had a day five blastocyst transfer on day six, they phoned me up and said that none of the, um, embryos were suitable for freezing and they must have discarded like 10 or 12 embryos something like that so that was a bit of a blow and obviously not having anything in the freezer just knew that we'd have to go through the whole fresh um IVF cycle again so I had to give it three months just to get back to you know regulated cycle etc and we decided that we would just go again for another fresh cycle and we went for that and that was successful and we got pregnant with my son Alex who is now five so I kind of feel like all in all I, I had a fairly easy time of it compared to lots of women I know that lots of women have it a lot tougher but obviously it's a it's still a really tough journey and it was really hard and a massive roller coaster but during this whole time I feel like I got a lot of positives out of experiencing IVF um, and infertility. And I know that for people who are in the midst of IVF or in the midst of infertility, it can be difficult to hear that someone feels positive about that situation. But it really led me to sort of what I do now and it led me to um, a much healthier lifestyle. So I mentioned earlier that I'd started having acupuncture during my, well, just leading up to my first cycle of IVF I f really fell in love with acupuncture and because of that I headed back to um, college and retrained in acupuncture and before that I was a, a fashion retail uh, buyer for a high street retailer so it's completely different uh, about turning careers but it was just so profound the effects that i uh, that acupuncture had on me that i just really want, felt called cool to to look into that a bit more so i was back at college and um did a degree in acupuncture and from the start of of that degree i really knew that i wanted to specialize in fertility straight away because i just wanted to support other women who were in the same situation so as soon as i qualified and that was in 2013 I set up a clinic to specialise in female and male fertility as well, but generally it's it's women who seek support. So it was a, a clinic treating lots and lots of women through um, not just fertility but through IVF and things like that. So so that's that was great, and then that naturally led me to kind of explore other um, aspects of health and well-being. So if between having George and Alex, I really started to get into or look into to nutrition more and I I think what I did first was cut out sugar and I'm kind of an all or nothing girl so so I decided just to cut it out completely from my diet and before that I was a real sugar monster so I'd have um, like gummy sweets and fizzy pop and things like that 
So I cut it out of my diet, um, felt really good for doing that. And then also the other interesting thing that I've noticed since having my children is that when I had sugar throughout my first pregnancy, George, my eldest, is very much into sugar. He really loves it and he'd seek it out. Um, whereas Alex still likes it, but definitely isn't as keen as George is. So that that was a really interesting observation that I've made that that your diet kind of preconception and during pregnancy can can have that kind of impact on your future child. So that was kind of like my first experience with nutrition. And then when I got pregnant with Alex, again, I just carried on making positive changes, eating more vegetables, things like that, adding in smoothies to support my cycle. And then after having Alex, I, I think I was doing some reading about dairy and how it had been linked with eczema. And I'd always suffered with like eczema and dry skin. So I decided that I would um, cut dairy out of my diet and just see what impact it had. And the most interesting thing is that it, um, about three to three months, I would say, after cutting out dairy, I realised that I hadn't taken my asthma inhaler at all um, um, for weeks. And before that, I had been taking it every day. Um, and I was diagnosed as asthmatic when I was at school. So when I was about five or six, something like that. So I'd taken an inhaler long term. And that was a real sort of light bulb moment where I kind of remember that I was struck by how food can be so healing um, and, and how we can use food as medicine. So, so that was kind of a real light bulb moment. And I decided that I really wanted to learn a lot more about nutrition. And I remember one morning I was nursing my son and in the early hours and I was sitting in, in the rocking chair and I was really pondering about everything that I'd learned on my journey pondering what support the women that I was working with were looking for and what would have helped me and what I really needed. And the thing that kind of struck me was, was a real lack of resources for nutrition, for fertility, how to use it effectively, how to use it practically as well, because there are plenty of books that tell you kind of what, what nutrients you need to get, but none of those turn, translate them into recipes and, and practical advice that you can easily implement on the day-to-day -day basis. And so as I was pondering all of this, this name popped into my head and the, the Fertility Kitchen popped into my head and I was just like, oh my gosh, that's like a really amazing name for a business and, and for a fertility nutritionist. So right then and then I grabbed my phone and looked up the handles on Instagram and Facebook and looked up the domain name and it was all available and I was pretty shocked I thought how can this still be available but it was so I registered it all straight away and I thought you know what I really really would love to write a fertility nutrition cookbook something that I would have found really useful on my journey and I thought well also I need to be really credible as a as a voice speaking about fertility nutrition and that kind of led me to, to go back to college again to study nutrition. So I went and off to do another three year course and qualified in nutrition. So the fertility kitchen has kind of really come about because of, of my journey. And it's really my journey's kind of led me to a much better place of health 
um, along the way, I've made loads and loads of changes that, that really have supported my health. I just feel so much better generally. And interestingly, a, a couple of years ago now, I actually got pregnant out of the blue and that was just so incredible. And it was a natural conception, completely wasn't trying, didn't, wasn't even thinking about it. And I remember missing my period. Well, I was a few days in. I just felt odd. And I took a pregnancy test. I thought, well, you know, it's not going to be this, but I'll, I'll just rule it out. Took it and it was negative. So I thought, oh, nothing more of that. I just didn't, chucked it in the bin and off I went. And then a few days later, still no period. So it must have been about three or four days later. I thought, oh, I'll just do another test. And I did a really like cheapo one that I found in the cupboard. And it came up positive, fairly faint. I was like, oh, and, it, and I remember doing it at like six in the morning or something. So I just hot footed it, jumped in my car and, and went to the local shop and bought a decent test, came home, did that. That was a real, really strong positive. So I was completely shocked, completely over the moon and really felt that, that it had come about just through all the, the positive changes that I'd made to my diet and my lifestyle. And it was just really wonderful because I was able to experience what we should all be able to experience, which is that sort of natural surprise kind of um, pregnancy where you're not trying month in, month out, you're not on this roller coaster, it's not consuming you, it's not all you think about. It was really nice to think, wow, this is what most people get to experience. So, so I was thrilled. Um, and then, we went for a scan. We thought we'd go for an early scan because we'd obviously had early scans with our clinic for our two boys. So we went for an early scan at eight weeks, saw a strong heartbeat. Everything was perfect. So really pleased. And then at 12 weeks, we went off for our NHS 12-week scan. And I was a little over 12 weeks, but, um, but it, sadly it wasn't to be. So I went and had that scan and were told that the baby didn't have a heartbeat and was... Um, had died about 10 weeks. So I'd had a mis miscarriage, which was, you know, and I'd heard about these and I, I definitely um, supported some clients through, the, through a mis miscarriage, but to actually experience it was just devastating. And it was just a shock. And I still remember my husband when we were in the, in the room, I just remember his really sharp intake of breath when, when she'd said, that there was um there was no heartbeat it was just really really shocking and I remember going home and, and, and it's funny how kind of your um survival instinct or whatever it is or you go into shock and you kind of just crack on and I remember driving home and saying to my husband right we've got to go to the shop I need to get some um sanitary wear and stuff so we went to the shop on the way home got that and, and then I came home and I'd ordered these new bed sheets and I just started making the bed and I just thought what the hell am I doing like I'm waiting to miscarry effectively and I'm making the bed and it's just weird what, what you do just to kind of I don't know what shock does to your body I guess um so and we'd been referred to the early pregnancy unit to to sort of find out what could happen and what, what was going to happen next and I remember that being a bit of a crap experience, just being left in a room for ages. And then I remember this really young doctor coming and 
you know, he didn't know how to handle it. And they just gave me like three different pieces of paper. And one said, um, you can just have a natural miscarriage. So wait to miscarry naturally. And the other one said, um, you can have a DNC. And the other one was medical management. And I just remember him saying, well, we don't advise medical management because you're 12 weeks. So, we, you know, it'll be a DNC really or, or leaving it to, to go natural. So at first I wanted to sort of go the natural route. I thought, let's just let my body kind of deal with this. And um, I went and had some acupuncture and lots of tears and things and, you know, trying to let go of the pregnancy just um, emotionally, I guess, just to help start the miscarriage process off. And I remember it being the weekend and we were due to go on holiday that the following Friday and we were going to Portugal. We'd got a villa and it was all... I, was, I said to my husband, well, this is really good timing, actually, because I'll, um, I'll just be able to go out there and soak up the sun and rest and things. And um, miscarriage sort of started on the Saturday evening and lost lots of blood, but still nothing major was, was coming out. So I remember thinking, well, we're getting really close to this holiday now and I don't want to have to be experiencing a miscarriage on the aeroplane or anything like that. So decided that I was going to go for DNC so I got booked in I think on the, the Tuesday got booked in for that and then I remember having that and I remember being taken down they gave me a, a pill first they actually did give me the pill to soften the cervix and I remember lying in the hospital bed and um, I remember thinking oh, I need to go to Lou and then things had started happening again in terms of miscarriage and I, I had my phone with me in, the, in this hospital loo and my husband texted me and said, oh, they're here, they're waiting for you to take you down to theatre. So I sort of, I said, well, I think I'm losing it now. But um, he said, well, just come out. So I kind of hobbled out. They sat me in this wheelchair and I said to the lady, I, like, I feel like it's all there. And she said, oh, don't worry, it's fine. And I was like crying and stuff. And she's saying, it's fine, don't worry, I've seen it all before. And it's like, oh, I wasn't really thinking about your feelings here. I was thinking about mine and, and the fact that also I didn't want to have to go down and have a DNC if I didn't need it. Anyway, and then over here, they, they wheel you into a public lift to get you down to theatre. So I remember going into this lift and you're in the maternity unit as well. And um, all these people coming in and out the lift and you're sat, I was sat in a wheelchair thinking, I'm like losing my baby and it was just awful. And then I remember going into um, to have the anaesthetic and the first thing I was greeted with was a pregnant, heavily pregnant um, nurse. And I just thought this is just so wrong that, they, that they've got it this wrong um, that someone's coming to have a DNC and then and there's someone assisting who's pregnant. It just didn't didn't sit right with me at all. And I think that's. I've heard lots of people having similar experiences of, of my experience in hospital and just how we need to really speak more openly about everything and, and, and also talk about it and say, this isn't right. You know, these kind of experiences shouldn't happen to women um, in this situation at all. So, so that's kind of my, my miscarriage story. Um, and the, the sort of over, the memory I have really is just how cruel it was after having such, it's like a cruel joke really, just having this surprise natural pregnancy and then to have it cruelly taken away from me. Um, and to anyone else going through it, it's just, you just have to give yourself time, time to process it all. And I remember a quote that really helped me and I can't remember where I saw it, but 
it said this too shall pass and that really sat with me and I kind of you know mention it to people now because however shit you feel right now it does pass and I still think about that baby but you know the the kind of raw emotion has has passed and um, I just feel sad that it never worked out but I still feel I, I kind of feel not glad that I went through that experience but it's made me a lot more empathetic with other women um, that this is happening to or that, and, and my clients as well, because I think you just can't truly understand what it feels like unless you've been through it. So it's, it's definitely helped me in my work. So, um, so yeah, so now I'm qualified in fertility nutrition or nutrition and I specialize in fertility and I see women all over the world, actually, because I, I work online and I support them to optimize their fertility through nutrition and lifestyle medicine. And it really is about food first and, and food being um, as, as medicine, really. Um, and I like to provide lots of practical information, make sure that what I'm asking people to do that they're able to implement that quite easily into their daily lives because we're all so busy and it's really hard to make changes. So it's all about helping people get into decent habits around food and, and also educating and empowering. I think that's so important. It's just empowering people to take control of their situation um, because there's so much you can do even when it feels like you have to hand over all responsibility to, to your medical team. Um, it's just about educating people that they can step up and, and take control of their own situation and, and be that kind of through diet and lifestyle changes, but also just through um, educating yourself around the treatment that you're going to be undertaking and really speaking to your medical team, asking them lots of questions um, not just saying yes 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 to everything that they suggest like really making sure that you're on board and happy and that you understand what what's going to happen um because i think that's that's important and often like uh, lots of my clients will come to see me and, and i'll say well how was uh, your iron levels or how was your thyroid um if they've had tests and they'll say oh everything's fine my gp or my doctor said it, it's fine and i'm like well what what was the level because GPs are often looking for a clear outlier, so they might be looking for a result that really sits outside their reference range that they have for a particular um, blood test, for example, and they're not looking for like the optimal. So if you sit at the very bottom of the reference range, you're not going to be as optimal as if you were well in the middle of the reference range. So it's about kind of asking women to, to get those results. So if you're going through blood tests, always get copies of the results and make sure that you're keeping, keeping them on file and having a folder where you know exactly what your results were. And, and you, know, you can look up your results as well. And you can also look up sort of functional medicine results and whether your results are optimal or whether may, maybe they could do with improvement because there's lots of um, different things that can have an impact on fertility and also on on miscarriage as well so yeah it's really about taking control that's how I, how I like to work is is teaching women to to take control of their own journey and 
to know as much as they can about what they're doing and why. So kind of what's next for me, I'm um, currently working on a fertility nutrition book, cookbook and that's going to have everything in it that I've learned on my journey. It's going to be built on the fertility kitchen and, and the, the pillars that my business is based on. So it's based on food, fertility and life. So food is really teaching you about the, the basics of, of good nutrition and how that can have an impact on your fertility. And then fertility is all about empowerment and life is about your lifestyle so looking at things like stress and sleep and connection with others and um, all things like that that can have an impact on your fertility and I explain why as well because I think it's really important to know why things can have an impact because if you know why then that can really help you to want to make changes I think if you're just told something and you don't understand why it it's not as, a, as powerful to motivate you to, to make changes. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's me, that's my story. I love it. This was so informative. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. I just appreciate you for feeling the pull to share on this podcast, but also just doing what you're doing. Now, if somebody wants to reach out to you, is Instagram the best way? Yes. Yeah, definitely. So the Fertility Kitchen on Instagram. Okay. So I'll go ahead and I'll link that in the description of this episode. Again, thank you so much for doing what you do and feeling the pull to share and empower. I just so appreciate you. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, we'll chat soon. Okay, bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest, so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together.